Good morning. We are in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless the reading and the teaching of your word. Father, without your spirit, we cannot mine the riches of your word, nor can we receive it by faith, nor can we be transformed. So send us Holy Spirit so that this sinful and weak preacher and these sinful and weak hearers would encounter your voice this morning. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Um, confess to you that um, I have an addiction to uh, GPS. I, uh, I, I drive, I, I, I have lots of little weirdo quirky things I do and one is I tend to drive with my GPS on all the time um, I, and I, I, somehow I got into this because I realized that many of the decisions that I made when I was driving were not the best decisions and, and that the GPS would send me down roads that were better that I never would have imagined that I would have gone down. It, it never would have even occurred to me. And then, right, so that, you know, the technology has increased and this, this was the greatest the moment that my GPS could start to tell me, wait a minute, you're about to make a terrible mistake. Don't you want to take this exit now? And I, well, yes, I, I do. I didn't know it until you mentioned it, right? Um, our, in our lives, we just have this inclination to often do bad things. And we think bad thoughts. We, we have thoughts about things that we think are absolutely true. We're completely convinced and they're wrong. And our hearts, I mean, our hearts are the worst and hearts kind of drive the whole thing. You know, our hearts go this way and that, pulled by things and we're, we love following our hearts, which are so wicked, right? Um, and make horrible mistakes. I mean, sometimes they lead us into something great, and then sometimes it's just a train wreck. God has given us his word because he loves us. He speaks to us. We go to him in, in his word because 
our hearts and our minds and our actions tend to go in directions which are against his law and displeasing to him and destructive for ourselves. And two ways that we tend to go down, which are, it's all like actions and thoughts and heart all together. There's two ways that religious people tend to run off the road that they should be on. And I'm, I'm sorry, like coming out of the box, giving you these terms, so I'll just tell you what they mean. One is legalism and the other is antinomianism. Legalism is this idea that I am okay and good because of who I am and what I do. I'm, I'm, I'm okay because I do okay things and I'm an okay person. I'm okay before God. God, God loves me because why wouldn't he? And then the other is, is antinomianism. I, I may not be a great guy, but it, it's okay, right? We, we have grace. It really doesn't matter what I do. My, my sin is, I mean, God's just taking care of it. I can just live however I want. Legalism and antinomianism. These are two ways we tend to run off the rails. A legalist believes that my salvation is acquired or maintained by what I do. Um, they've run surveys. They've, they've actually stood outside of churches, people coming out of churches. Are you going to heaven? Yes, I'm going to heaven. Why are you going to heaven? Because I'm a good person. Because I, I, I try to keep the Ten Commandments. And in order to maintain this, you either have to have a vastly inflated view of your own goodness, or you have to have a vastly diminished view of God's holiness. It's like one or the other. So like a, you'll have like two, there's actually two kinds of legalists. There's the self-righteous legalist, where I inflate my goodness and I go around and I compare my, one of, this is why self-righteous legalists are so irritating. Because I go around looking for people who I can use as evidence that I am a good person. Because you have sin patterns that are different than my sin patterns. And those are the ones I'm gonna focus on. I'm gonna take the attention off myself, put it on others, condemn other people, and I'm going to deny my own sin. I'm gonna hide my own sin all the time. I'm gonna repress it, deny it, which, by the way, causes it to grow. But I'm going to hide. Because I have a creeping fear of being found out. That you will know what's really going on and what I don't want to admit to myself. So the other kind of legalist is not as irritating. It's the lazy legalist. The lazy legalist basically uh, turns God into Santa Claus, right? God knows if I've been naughty or nice, but he doesn't really care. Which is, there's something ironic there, right? Because the actual real Santa Claus, every evidence was he was super concerned with God's holiness, right? But, well, some other time. Um, I make the law keepable. I, I don't acknowledge that 
You know, I say to myself, and then Jesus dealt with this directly. You know, I say to myself, I haven't murdered anyone. What does Jesus say? Well, you hated your brother? No. I haven't committed adultery. Have you lusted? You know, all the Ten Commandments, it's just these apex things that are like umbrellas for everything underneath that covers all of human life. And so what happens is one day we begin to realize that God is holy and we are far from holy. And maybe we do what Martin Luther did, realize this and start to try to keep the law. Just really go full in. And as we try and we put an accurate lens on our lives, we see that we fail and it becomes desperate and grinding and you will come to the place where you will begin to struggle with hatred towards God. Because you're never going to make it. Now, the antinomian on the other side says, legalist. I'm saved and I'm forgiven. I don't have to worry about anything. I mean, I'll, I'll avoid some sins that aren't my cup of tea anyway, right? So uh, an antinomian has sins that they have no desire to commit. And then they tell themselves, well, I, I don't do those things. I got some other things I do, but I'm not worried about it. It's grace. I'm just, I'm free to live my life, right? I, I, I'm saved and I, I can just live however I want. I don't have to worry about righteousness. I don't have to worry about good works. It's not just holiness. I don't have to worry about seeking first the kingdom of God or anything like that. I mean, God doesn't want me to be some kind of religious nut. Just going to be okay. There's a, there's a pastor. He's a, he's a Reformed Baptist. His name is Paul David Washer. He gave one of the most powerful sermons given in the second half of the 20th century. In it, he talked about, he said, uh, whole, it's like several thousand young people. And he said, uh, hey, if I, if I were to tell you guys that I'm sorry that I was late showing up because on the way here, I got hit by a logging truck. Just was crossing the street, bam, and I'm late. And you'd say, Brother Paul, that cannot possibly be true. Because here you are, there's no evidence. There's no way that you could come in contact with something as large and powerful as a logging truck and then just stand before us with no evidence. There's no way that someone can actually meet, come to know, have a relationship with the God of the universe, the creator, and walk away unchanged. And so, there we have the question. How, if we can't be saved by some kind of legalism, how do we not end up in antinomianism? How can it not be one or the other? And the truth is, and I'm going to flesh it out for you, but I'll just give it to you. It is true you are saved by grace through faith alone. But the faith that saves you never shows up alone. 
it brings with it a transformed life. So this is actually what Paul's addressing, and now I'm actually getting to the passage. And if you're here, and it just, because I, I know many of you, I don't know everyone, if you are here and you are not a Christian, if this whole thing is new to you, you're visiting, I beg of you to listen carefully because if you're going to reject the Christian message, at least hear what it is. Okay? What is Paul saying? Paul is saying you are saved by grace through faith. Grace is a word, it's a, it means a gift. You're given salvation. It's a gift. And you can't earn a gift, right? If you earn a gift, it's a payment. And here's the thing, you actually can earn salvation. If you're here, you wanna earn salvation, you can do it. Here's what you need to do. All of your life from birth, never violate God's law. Never do anything wrong, bad, or sinful. All of your life, do every act of goodness towards human beings that is in front of you 100% perfectly with the right heart all the time and worship God purely from your heart 100%. If you do that, you can earn salvation. If you don't do that, then you are sunk unless someone simply gives it to you. Unless someone does it in your place and says, I have this here. All right. Well, if that's the case, then why do some people have salvation and some people not have salvation? And Paul says, well, it's grace through faith. That to receive this salvation, you have to have faith. And, and this is, I want to speak, if there's any Presbyterians in this room, I want to speak to you. Because we tend to go halfway with our understanding of faith. We tend to believe that faith is a set of beliefs. We even talk about like the Christian faith. As if you have this set of beliefs and if you say, I assent to all these things. If I say that all these things are true, that that is faith. And that's half of faith. Because faith in the New Testament also includes trust. Look, um, I, I have somewhat of a fear of heights. I, I call it an appreciation for physics, okay? And, uh, and so, you know, I said, even watching this, like on TV or online, bothers me, bungee jumping, right? Now, I know how physics, kind of how it works. I know that the bungee that they have figured out, they've tested this, they know that it carries the weight that it should carry. They know, I know that the bungee, like it, it, it expands, right? So it absorbs the energy so that you're not torn apart when you hit to the bottom of that. And I, I know that they know the stretch, right? So you don't stretch all the way to the ground, but instead before the ground. I know all these things. I assent to all these things. All of these things are true and I will never, ever do it. 
okay? Think about that. You can assent to all kinds of things. Kids, you can say that all these things are true, that we have a triune God, that Jesus came to save us, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead. You can say all these things are true and if you don't trust it, it does you no good. By grace through faith, trust. And by the way, faith has an object, right? If you're jumping off of a platform with a bungee, you got faith in the instructors and the person who did the bungee and everything. Salvation is faith in Jesus. The one who did it all for you and gives it to you as your Lord. But does this, so this is where it, this is where Paul is, by the Spirit, is giving us just this wonderful gift. Because at that point, well, if I have faith, then why do I have faith? Is it because I am better than those bad people who didn't believe? Is it because when I go to school somewhere and I see kids who obviously don't believe, they, they just don't have a good family like I have? Why is it? Just, I mean, just, uh, we have a collection of better people here. I want to call your mind back to what Bill preached about at the beginning of this chapter. When it says... You were a little troubled and slightly sick in your trespasses and sins. No. It says you were dead. We think, that's how we think about this. We think, um, I'm drowning. Please save me. We're thrown a line. We grab the line and Jesus pulls us to shore. No that line is gonna hit a floater. We're f I want you to think about um, you're in a house, it's on fire. What are you? You're screaming, help me, help me. No, you're passed out. You're absolutely you have succumbed to smoke inhalation and you're lying on the floor. And at some moment, you wake up and there is a mask on your face and a firefighter who has pulled the mask off of his face. And he says, breathe. And you breathe. And he says, hang on to me. And you're going to hang on to him because you're now awake and you hold on while he holds you and he drags you out of that burning building. If you are here and you have faith in Jesus, you have faith in Jesus because he gave you that faith. It's a gift. And you may say, well, wait a minute, don't I choose? 
Yes. You choose. You do exactly what you want to do. Before I came to Christ, I didn't grow up believing in Jesus. I hated, I didn't really hate Jesus. I hated Christians. I didn't like the Bible. I hated everything that that I knew that God stood for. I was absolutely self-centered. And I did exactly what I wanted to do. And I stood in a charismatic house church in Midland, Texas, and God gave me faith and I responded, which then was exactly what I wanted to do. Now you say, well, then you're just still just God. And that's it. Because we want it to be about us. It's not about us. It's about the God who rescues us. For those of you who have adopted infants, what did they do? They dance for you, they take a little test. No, you just said, I place my love on this child. What do you think God did? He placed his love on you. It's all of God. Now, you think, well, that still... Uh, No, you don't understand. That means that your faith and even the maintaining of your faith is given to you by God. And this is not some like stray thing that I'm pulling out of one passage. It's everywhere in scripture. The end of Jude, which we never read Jude. The end of Jude says, to him who is able to, to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. What does that mean? That means as you're hanging on to God, he's hanging on to you and one set of arms is stronger than the other. That's what that means. This is why the apostle said to Jesus, increase our faith. What did he say? Oh no, you do it. That's your work. No, he received that. That's what we pray. The faith that we have is a gift. Now, let's go back to work. So, the reason that we work is that we are his workmanship. You, if you're a child of God by faith in Christ Jesus, you were created to do good works. And everything that God is doing in your life, bringing you to faith, is to bring you to the point where you bear fruit. So that even your works are given to you because he prepared them beforehand. Now, so, all right, so, I don't do my works. No, you do your works. You're saying God doesn't do my works. No, God does your works. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. It's it's kind of a mystery for us because we're not as great as God to understand how he does it. But this has huge implications. That... 
When you are faced with a holy duty, uh, so let's say sharing the gospel with somebody. Um, you're with a friend who is dying and you are changing their bodily fluids in their bed. You're doing something. You're just like, I don't, or even saying, you know, I mean, it's as simple as this. I, I just... I just feel so overwhelmed with kids. I just don't know if I could teach Sunday school or I don't know if I could be in the nursery. Whatever it is, whatever holy duty that you're called to, you need to know that nothing in your salvation depends on whether or not you accomplish it. If you do it well, God will not love you any more. If you do it poorly, God will not love you any less. That is not what is at play here with this. Second thing, why is God calling you to do this then? Because he loves you and he wants to spend time with you. Right? Why do you seek first the kingdom of God? Because you're laboring with him. Because he is the father who loves to bring his son and his daughter along with him to work. And I want to tell you, parents, kids, I, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to open up something for y'all, okay? The reason that, um, that we asked you to help is not because then it's done better. It's because we love you. We love watching you grow. We enjoy being with you. God loves working with you. Okay, third. Think about this. Because I think we all struggle with this incredible weakness in the church where we run everything through a worldly grit. When you are faced with a holy duty, with a calling to do something, there is a kid that you know who is always alone and you just feel like, oh, I should, I should go sit with that kid. There is a coworker and he looks like He's really struggling. She looks like she's really struggling, but I just don't know if I can go up to them and ask them how they're doing. I don't know if I can just tell somebody who probably doesn't know the Lord, can I pray for you right now? All of these things. God prepared your works in advance before eternity. When you stand at the edge of a holy duty, you will have everything you need to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. He set it up before the world was here. Now, do we know what he wants to accomplish? We don't always know what he wants to accomplish. But he wants you to know that you are saved not by accomplishing it. That was done by his son and you receive him by faith. But that your works are done for his glory, for your joy, 
to know him, his son, more deeply, the privilege of participating in his work in the world as someone who's confident because they already have everything they need to belong in the family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your blessing on our hearts that we would receive the truth of your word, blessing on our minds that we would think more in accordance with your word and blessings on our lives that we would live out the truth of your word to the glory of your name in our joy. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.